in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 69 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andrew Baggerly, and we are joined by a special guest. We have Pedro Mora, who is a, a Dodgers scribe for The Athletic. How you doing, Pedro? I'm doing fine. Thank you guys for having me on. We're getting more into these guests, and we're excited to have you on because... Uh, we just don't hear enough about the Dodgers around here. Uh, they're really good, apparently, and we just want to hammer that that point home to our listeners. Uh, yes, our loyal listeners, our loyal listeners just cannot get enough of hearing about how great and dynastic the Dodgers are, how many generational talents they are, uh, they have. It, it, they really just can't get enough hearing about how great the Dodgers are. Um, yeah, they're pretty good. I'll talk about that. Uh, <laughs> I talk about it every week on the podcast, on our Dodgers podcast, which I'm sure you don't want to listen to if you're also listening to this. But yeah, they're good. Got a lot of talent. It's hard to see them uh, not winning 95 games whenever there's a baseball season and with a normal amount of games played. So they're going to be good for a while. Yeah. If there's like an 81 game season, I could see them winning 95. I think it's I can see them winning like, uh, yeah, yeah, 60% of them, however many And I'm, are. I'm looking at the projected roster and it, uh, this is weird. It says I have Mookie Betts now. Is that right? They might not. He might not play for them. You know, I mean, I'll say that, right? Yeah. I mean, this is wild. Though. I just look at this this lineup and laugh. And is this – so how long have you been covering baseball, Pedro? Since uh, 2013 – the start of 2013. Okay. And how long have you been watching it, you know, I guess? Um, the first baseball game I attended was um, I be- Fernando Tatis's um, two grand slam in one inning game. Uh, that was the Park. first game you yeah. attended. I was uh, seven years old. Yep, mm-hmm. I was there. That's a good tidbit. And then you went to your next game, and you're like, "Hey, Dad, which inning is someone going to hit two grand slams in?" Because that's just like a thing that happens, right? No, I was uh, by that point I was already like an almanac nerd and uh, understood the <laughs> the oddity of the feat for sure. Yeah, but, but a good tidbit about that is that my dad. Uh, Helped me get Chan Ho Park's autograph after that game. Um, really? Yeah. And he signed it, you know, which uh, I don't think a lot of folks would do. <laughs> Give up two grand slams. Yeah. Yeah. I think the the good point or the point I was trying to make about this is that is, is this the best lineup you've ever seen? Oh, I don't know, man. Uh, in terms of, well, the, the Dodgers, what, what they do so well is that they have a ton of good players. They don't, like, you know, yeah, Cody Bellinger was the MVP last year, but the typical Dodgers of, of the years that I've been covering baseball have been to have a bunch of 130, 140 OPS guys, but not one 170 or 180 guy, you know? So, but, but their eighth hitter is usually the best eighth hitter in baseball. But I, I, I've been writing, I'm, I'm working on something about the 2004 um playoffs in the Cardinals lineup uh, from back then. Holy crap. I don't know if I can curse on this thing, but I kind of want to. Um, let's just uh, let's just talk through their two, three, four, five. Their number two hitter uh, was uh, Larry Walker, 950-something OPS that year. Number three, Albert Pujols, like 1,100. Number four, Scott Rowland, 1,050. Number five, Jim Edmonds, like 107. So, yeah, I think I'm going to go with that one. <laughs> wow. And that was a year that Tony Womack hit 307. Like, that. come on. 
That's not yeah, fair. Tony Womack sold like 70 bases or something. I don't know how many. But yeah, they, they had a good club. Um, the Dodgers are really good. Their lineup is is, is um, almost flawless. You know, they're, they're probably their worst hitter you would project is Will Smith, their catcher who was dominant for a month last year and then struggled for another month. And he's going into his, you know, first full season. So they, they don't have a ton of, um, they don't have a ton of flaws, no. Yeah, like we're looking at uh, this universal DH and trying to sort of workshop, okay, what can the Giants do aside from call up Joey Bart or sign Yasiel Puig or, or you know, uh, start Hunter Pence there and, and then who knows who plays in the outfield? I mean, it's you're really sort of scrambling at possibilities, but uh, the Dodgers would be like, oh, good, we can get this guy in the lineup now. And, and you could point to any one of like eight guys. I mean, what, how do you, who do you think uh, would get the most at-bats as a DH? Yeah, they, it would allow them to play Jock Peterson with more regularity while also rotating in A.J. Pollock, Kike Hernandez, Chris Taylor. They don't have a true DH in the sense of it's like a, a player without a position, um, but because they, all their guys are essentially competent, at least at, you know, they have two corner infielders, Matt Beatty and Edwin Rios, who they'd like to get some time to. So it'd be a rotating thing, but they were, they were going to be short on playing time for Chris Taylor and Kike Hernandez in a normal season. So this creates some space for those two. So it's not, they're going to be, the DH will be a good defender, but he'll be able to at least hit. Got it. Got it. Um, what, what were you thinking about as you were covering the team all off season uh, none of us knew that all this stuff was going to come crashing down obviously but um, you know the Dodgers didn't do anything didn't do anything didn't do anything and you heard the the whispers and the complaints and they got a little louder and then all of a sudden boom here's David Price and Mookie Betts I mean what was just sort of like mentally what was that off season like to cover um well I tried to uh, to be patient and not uh overly critical of the of the team for its lack of action because it was clear to me that there was a possibility. I'm not saying that I expected them or predicted the Mookie Betts acquisition by any means, but I'm saying that I thought it was a possibility. And so, you know, within this area, within the LA region, I would say the team caught a lot of criticism for their lack of action, but it just felt premature to me, especially considering that they would still be projected to, you know, pace the division by several games, even without any, any acquisitions. And so I tried to essentially just be patient with it and understood that it was likely that they were working towards a deal of that magnitude. You know, Andrew Friedman came out and said at the winter meetings that they had their sights set on about a dozen players, a dozen stars, and that he nothing else would really move the needle for them. And obviously one of them was Betts, you know. Anthony Rendon was another one, Garrett Cole, Steven Strasburg, and those guys, you know, fell out of the lot of uh, likelihood pretty early on. But it was it was clear that the Vets was always going to be a possibility for this team. And you know, as you know, when you get into January, it's like who who else is going to acquire him if not the Dodgers? Yeah, it's it's just such a unique situation because your mm-hmm. team is so good and you know that you're probably gonna win the division as constituted, that there's just so few moves out there that are just worth doing. Uh, you know that are worth the kind of impact, and and obviously those moves are are involving the best players in baseball. Um, so it kind of limits you, but it also frees you up in, in a certain way. And, and now you've got Rendon, you've got Trout, you've got Bellinger, you've got Mookie Betts. At least if there is a season this year, all playing in Southern California. I mean, four of the game's biggest stars. I mean, what's what's the have you sensed the kind of reaction? Um, uh, among baseball fans in Southern California in terms of before all this stuff happened, what was the sort of level of anticipation for this season to start? I think it was quite high. You know, that, that feels so far from now. I'm trying to like remember what it was like yeah, right. in, in early March. And I, I'm not really, there's not a lot triggering for me right now, but um, 
Yeah, I remember there being, you know, an, an, a rare buzz for the Angels after the Rendon acquisition, but that sort of died down fairly quickly. And then there was an inevitability, I think, after the, the Dodgers acquired Mookie Betts that people just resigned themselves to this being another great Dodgers regular season and that, you know, you would wait until uh, October to see what happened, right? And and everything was just like, you almost wanted to fast forward to October. And boy, could do we wish we could have fast forwarded to October. Um, yeah. So it's I couldn't tell you I'm not like in, wonderfully in touch with the buzz, but it's it felt like it, it was just like oh okay here's a, here's another division title you know and that's um I mean that's that's what I assumed as well but that's also what I assumed before the trade that leads into the obvious sort of next question where Dodgers fans aren't going to be happy with another ten division titles like they have to is that the mood around that I know you're not. The buzz isn't exactly your, your fort, but is that like the mood? Like it's just World Series or bust, have to win a World Series. Like it might, I don't care if it's Mookie Betts. Why don't it could be Cody Ross? Like just just get us someone who can get that that big hit. <laughs> yeah, yes, I think I think that's totally right, and I do think also that that's something the Dodgers started to consider more this past off season. That that maybe their strategy for dominating the regular season hasn't lent itself to playoff dominance. You know, and obviously that we're making too much of it if we say that you know their squad couldn't handle the playoffs or anything like that. It's it's so much of, of October is built on randomness, right? But right. there is something to be said about putting them on play and contact and and that having a little bit more value in the playoffs than strikeout heavy ball. So uh, you know they they prioritize that. I think that's a that's been a focus, and I think we're gonna only gonna see the team push towards that more in the years to come. But it's. Uh, <laughs> Yes, I think fans will never be excited here, never be like on a broad level. Like the majority of Dodger fans will be disappointed until uh, until there's a World Series championship. That said, we did a fan survey like a month or so ago at the Athletic on the Dodgers uh, among Dodgers fans and I was a little surprised by how positive the ratings were. I think the overall 1 to 5 rating for Andrew Friedman was like 4.3, 4.4. You know, almost everyone had him at a 4 or 5. And um, just that he was doing a great job. And so I guess people are more critical of the manager for a few mistakes he's made in the, in the postseason. And because they ultimately place the blame for on-field results on the manager and the players. But the GM, you know, people, at least our subscribers, seem to be elated with his work, no matter whether they've won a World Series or not. Because it's easy for me to say. It's easy for me to, to step back and, and as an uh, observer who's who's not invested in the Dodgers winning World, like, to me, they're, they're miraculous. It's like one of the greatest stretches of baseball I've ever seen. They should not hang their heads. You know, they lost to a an Astros team that was banging trash cans. Uh, there's no shame in losing to the Nationals. Like when you stack them all up, obviously, obviously it's disappointing, but there has to be some appreciation that this is one of the, you know, it's like the Atlanta Braves in the nineties. It's like one of the most remarkable stretches that anyone's ever seen. Right. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, there's, it, when will this team not be in contention? I mean, it, it, they're going to go, you know, they're going to go a straight decade under Andrew Friedman's leadership where they're going to be the, the team to beat in the division every year. And that's, I think, a pretty remarkable feat. And it, it, a decade is a conservative estimate. You know, it's, it's probably going to last longer than that. I mean, I, some people think, you know, some executives and scouts that I've asked about in, within the game think that the Giants are going to be the next team to actually contend with the Dodgers in the West. Seriously, the next team to unseat them atop the West. And so that's still going to take, you know, a couple years, if not longer. <laughs> you know, it, does, it doesn't seem like Arizona, although, you know, Mike Hazen seems to have done a great job there. They're, they don't have the same sort of resources that the Dodgers do. And I don't know that they're going to, like, I would feel uncomfortable projecting a division win for Arizona at any point in the next few seasons. And so San Diego has some, some boom potential, but they also have some bust potential with some of their pitching prospects. So I, I don't know who's going to win this division. You know, I don't, when's the next 
next time the non a team other than the Dodgers are going to win the the NL West? Yeah, it's it's a great question. I, I like that the talent wave that Arizona's producing. Um, they definitely were opportunistic and saw a oppor- uh, chance to get Bumgarner at uh, you know a team friendly contract. Um, and and you have to like the wave that San Diego's putting together, but that's what it is. It's a wave, and and can they keep that wave together? Um, can they you know go out and and get the the big big move to put you over the top uh, when you've already you know given all that money to Manny Machado? Um, you know it's it's definitely the Giants and the Dodgers are the two big revenue teams in the division, and and, and really when you look at it, the Giants' success. One of the underplayed factors, I think, was the fact that the, they caught the Dodgers in a down cycle when Frank and Jamie McCourt just used that franchise as their personal checking checkbook and and basically screwed the fans over for a half a decade. And that that was an opportunity, and and the uh, the Giants seized that opportunity to get in the playoffs, um, you know, three times, and and then they just ran ran the table. Um, all three times. So, um, but yeah, it's 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 a great question. I, I got to think that there are people in LA who who see that Farhan Zaidi's in charge, and they assume that you know he's going to make the right moves. Um, it, it, what do you think? Just watching Farhan's first full season last year, uh, was it about what you expected that he would do uh, in San Francisco? Yeah, I can't say that I paid as much attention as I would as I did when he was you know helping run the Dodgers. But yes, there were you know there were no obviously dumb moves, right? Which I can't say the same about the previous regime. Um, so you know when I when I saw like I'll never you know forget and I'm the Evan Longoria trade. You're just like wait, what? Why would this team in this situation be pursuing that acquisition at this point? You know from from an outsider's perspective in Los Angeles, it just it made no sense. It made no sense. And so there was the uh, immediate end of those sorts of transactions. And so like the Kevin Gaussman thing, I was a little surprised by. Um, didn't, but it's like, oh, wait, it's a one year deal for a guy who used to be uh, a hot prospect. If he puts together three good months, you know, all of a sudden you can, you can, um, you can trade that for something interesting. You know, there's maybe you can mold him into something too. So it's, it's like, they're all defensible and you defer to the people who know more, which is him and his leadership than me, obviously. So it's like, but there's nothing that define that, that, that goes outside of the realm of, of what I, I would just, you know, defer to someone on. And like, whereas in the, in the final years of the previous Giants regime, it felt like there were several moves that made little to no sense. Yeah, well, since you weren't paying daily con- um, sort of attention to the Giants, Pedro, I'll pick you up. Aaron Altair, he was a giant. Eric Kratz, <laughs> Eric Kratz, he was a giant. Um, they Eric six- Kratz, he was? He was, yeah, he was a giant for like a whole week. Um, they wow. used 64 players last year, 64 players, National League record. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. Um, I once had dinner, uh, next to Eric Kratzy accidentally at a, at a restaurant in Florida. He seemed like a nice guy. I hope you guys enjoyed his, uh, his week on the Giants. He, he is a nice guy. And, uh, and he played for, uh, Team USA in the, in the Premier 12, uh, tournament in Japan that I covered last, uh, November. And I felt so bad for him when Mexico won because he wanted more than anything to be an Olympian. And, and, you know, maybe he'll get that chance next year if, if they can get the Olympics to go off and if the U.S. can qualify, uh, for, for one of those final spots. But, I mean, he, he was there, Clayton Richard was there, and then a whole bunch of just like newly drafted guys were there. Um, so but, like 40 yeah, year olds, a real, and 20 real pro, exactly, exactly. It was like Eric Kratz and a bunch of 19 year olds. Um, cool. but yeah, he's he's an interesting dude for sure. Um, what what were you what were your expectations for David Price uh, entering this season? I mean, he seems like a guy who's definitely not coming off his best season, but you, you sort of look at the National League, 
and 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 what he could do in some of the you know um, bigger ballparks and, and and no DH at least if that resumes. Um, is this a guy that could be like a, a Cy Young candidate? Do you think mm, that feels a little strong? Um, but uh, he was good before he got hurt last year. Um, I guess what I was expecting was a was a number three starter caliber season, uh, maybe num- three to four uh, starter caliber season at least for the Dodgers' expectations. So something like a you know, mid threes to high threes ERA, uh, and you know, the benefit with the Dodgers is that they can give him rest. They could have. Um, you know, not ha- ha- force him to make 33, 34 starts in a season, right? Maybe something like 25, 28, take time and be ready for October, right? That's what I was expecting. Um, he was, he was, you know, quite good, as I recall, before the, uh, before the hand injury. So it's, it's reasonable. I think that what they, the thinking that they had, if I could guess, was that they would see if he could be their number three guy for the postseason. And if they, if he wasn't capable of that, then they would go out and acquire somebody at the deadline who would have been able to be a number three because that's what they needed beyond Walker Buehler and Clayton Kershaw. And, uh, you know, it seems like Price could have been and may still be that guy. Now, if I'm looking through with a critical eye at the the projected roster, and I if I'm looking for that that flaw. It might be the bullpen. I mean, I see the names. I respect the names. I know that there's a lot of history and and success in that bullpen. But is is that your read too? Like, I could see the entire rotation having lower ERAs than uh, than most of the the pitchers in the bullpen, which isn't you know usually it's flip flopped. Am I correct in saying that you know the bullpen might be the weakest link of a ridiculously strong chain? Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, it's hard to quibble with that. I mean, it, it's the Dodgers bullpen is a weird thing because last year watching the team nearly every day, it felt like their bullpen wasn't that good and, and lacked. And then you look at the stats and um, they led the national league in bullpen ERA. Um, I, I believe actually they were tied with the giants for it. So um, it's, it and wasn't the bullpen kind of the Giants' strong suit? Yeah, until they traded the entire bullpen at the trade deadline. <laughs> yeah, so there's that. Um, yes, the, the I would not be. It's like if you had to project a weak link between you know lineup, sort of rotation, and bullpen, you would have to pick bullpen. That said, they have Kenley Jansen there. He still is, you would project to be pretty good, if not anywhere close to what he was until 2017. Blake Trinan might be really good. He also might not, but he might really be. Um, Pedro Baez has been kind of an oddly dependable seventh inning guy, if you look at it. Um, they have, you know, it was going to be fine. They were not going to be below average as a bullpen. Um, and they, you know, and if they weren't going to be that great, they were probably going to go out and add reinforcements in July. So it's, um, they looked fine. They looked okay. They, they also did look like the weakest link on a very strong squad. Now, that sort of leads to my follow-up, which is how much was this roster put together with the expectation that you could always get reinforcements in July? You know, it, looking at that bullpen, that looks to me like a bullpen that's like probably going to be fine. And you know what? If we need to get some help, we, we can buy a cavalry with prospects. Uh, and it seems like that was the plan. Is there even going to be a deadline? Is there going to be an opportunity for that? Is that kind of what they were anticipating before all this happened? Yeah, I think so. I think that's kind of what most teams do with bullpens, isn't it? Because it's so hard to predict in March or January what you know who's going to be the best relievers, who are going to be the best relievers in baseball in September or October, right? I mean, it's hard to predict in a month who's going to be a good reliever outside of like maybe 10 or 15 dudes. So it almost feels like the right way to acquire bullpen help is to do it in July, even if you have to pay premiums, but the Dodgers can afford to, right? So yes, that's a disadvantage for them um it's also a disadvantage for everybody else right that they can't add add help at the deadline um you know you would think that you take you take joe kelly and blake trying you know two dudes who who 
um, have the potential to be really good and also have the potential to be pretty bad. And you would think, okay, maybe there's maybe one one of them is good this year. You know, maybe Kenley Jansen, you know, might be good. Maybe he won't. You know, maybe Pedro Baez might be even better than he has been. I don't know. There's, you know, there's they have Julio Urias that could move if he's if he's not going to start. Bruce Dar Gratterall, who they acquired in the Mookie Betts trade, throws a hundred and could could relieve. They had a lot of possibilities, and you would think that like what you need is three or four dominant guys, right? I don't know. I mean, it seems plausible to me that they would get those out of there. I mean, who in the NL was going to have a better bullpen than, than those guys this year? I mean, I, I I don't know. I mean, I'm not a I'm not a bullpen expert, but I can't think of a team that sticks out to me right now that projects to have a significant. Yeah, and you mentioned Bruce Dar Greater Role, and that is like some Dodger voodoo right there. It's like the trade is breaking down; they have to reconfigure it. And and oh, by the way, they end up with one of the most live arm pitching prospects in baseball suddenly, who they didn't have in the original deal. It's like, man, this seems a little unfair. Yeah. What do they call it? Um, the rich get richer. I think they say. <laughs> yeah, that that does yeah, happen. I mean, that's that's um, that does happen. That's kind of all it is. They they figured out a way to to work it into a um, a pretty uh, appealing deal to them. That said, you know, they're only going to get a, at most eighty games of Mookie Betts right now, and and they gave the Red Sox several years of Alex Verdugo. So um, this is you know s- definitely hurt their chances of winning that trade. You could say, yeah. um, you know, I remember in February, like in late Feb, everyone is asking like, how in the world will the Dodgers ever lose this trade? This is an awesome trade for them. Well, that's one. This is one way that they could lose the trade, right? Because um, the Red Sox have for several years of Verdugo, and he's you know a, people might have slept on how good of a year he had last year and how much he projects to be good going forward. Yeah, for sure, you're going to lose a very cost uh, effective season from Cody Bellinger. You might lose the only season you got Mookie Betts. I mean, in terms of what you lose, and we've talked about this on the podcast, the Giants meanwhile will get one year closer to being done with Posey, Belt, Crawford, Longoria. I mean, those contracts are still moving, so. You know, in a sense, by standing still, they can make some progress in their rebuild. Uh, for a team like the Dodgers, this this pause is a lot, uh, in in a lot of ways, is a lot more costly. Uh, but the other thing we we talked about, and I'd be interested to get your thought on this: how much weird sample size. Uh, magic could happen here. I mean, if you get a guy who, uh, let's say Bellinger tweaks an oblique, you know, it's a six-week injury, that's a way different uh, amount of lost time uh, uh, in a shortened season than it would be in a 162-game season. Do you think at all there's enough uh, sort of quirks and weirdness that could happen in an 82-game season that could really imperil the Dodgers uh, in what otherwise would look kind of like a sure thing that they were going to win the division. Yeah, I think you have to you have to look at the numbers, look at how look at how the math works, look at how past half game half season samples go, and, and realize that yes, there's a chance they would lose this division. Um, you know, for them not to make the playoffs in, expand, in an expanded field, I think would be really hard. Um, because when if Cody Bellinger goes down for six or twelve weeks, they still have you know they can still trot out an outfield of Chris Taylor, AJ Pollock, Jock Peterson, Mookie Betts. You know, they got they have they have essentially two backups, capable backups at every spot. So I don't see a way they don't they know they don't go like win fifty five percent of games. If, you know, however many games are played, as long as it's more than like ten. Um, you know, they're, they're just, they're depth proof. Um, and so, yes, I, but that, you know, could Arizona go on a run? Um, could like San Diego's, could Fernando Tatis stay healthy the entire, you know, 81 game season and and play wonderfully? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think it's, it's certainly, I think you're, it's a great point you made about the Giants sort of getting to skip through, simulate through a year of their, of their bad and get closer to their good while the Dodgers just lose a little bit more good. You know, there's, the bad isn't coming anytime soon, but it, this, you know, it doesn't, it, it's not comfortable to lose, you know, the, uh, the cheaper years of Cody Bellinger, 
uh, and and potentially half of what you get of Mookie Betts. So it's it's not ideal for them. No, I, but that said, I still expect them to make the playoffs in however many games are played. Now, this isn't exactly a hot take or me being a brain genius, but it, it, the Dodgers' success over, the, you know, especially the, the more recent success has been because of their player development system. And specifically, what they're able to do, even though they're not getting like a top 10 draft pick every year, they're not even coming close. And you've got Gavin Lux, 20th overall, Will Smith, uh, 32nd overall. You know, even when they're picking in the back half of the first round, they're still nailing their picks. And then they're also doing things like, you know, taking Cody Bellinger clay and making this incredible MVP statue out of it. It, it, Like when is the conveyor belt going to stop? Like is is this, is just like a a really fertile period or do they just have that conveyor belt and just keep spitting out, you know, fourth round picks that turn into all stars and and first round picks at the back of the first round who exceed expectations? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, but you distracted me a little bit Grant by, um, by using uh, Cody Bellinger's father's name as a as the word following his name, which got me like, man, that's like kind of like a next level uh, sentence there. <laughs> yeah, I'm working on levels, man. I got Whoa. levels. Whoa! I thought for a moment I was like, oh, where's he going with this one? Um, can we do? Can you make a whole sentence out of just someone's descendants? Um, wow, that would be fun. <laughs> Um, they have a guy named Zach Rex on their team. You know, he'd be the next, uh, they're, they're molding him. Um, I don't know what his father's name is off the top of my head though. Um, yeah, the, the, this, the player development machine is not stopping. You know, they have, um, the, when you talk to their minor leaguers and you, you, you ask them about the environment, the, the competitive environment that they're, that they're dealing with in double A, triple A, I, you get the sense from them reporting what their peers at other teams have to say that they're, the, the environment is a lot more competitive within the Dodgers organization that they're uh they're just I, I don't exactly you know I haven't spent enough time in the minor leagues to to say how they're doing it but the players are developing at a at a more rapid pace it just feels it feels fair to me to say that when you look at like especially with their with their hitting prospects I think they have they've had a way of developing sort of like nothing college draft picks into at least quad A types like Kyle Garlick last year. Um, Zach Rex is another example. They're, they have a kid named Luke Rayleigh who's who's gotten results so far. These are guys from small schools, uh, guys who weren't even drafted in some cases, and they're turning them into. They're maximizing what skills they have and using them in the best ways for those skills. So it's um I, I don't see how it's going to stop anytime soon while they have this um, this development machine going on. Uh, Pedro, there's one more thing that I wanted uh, to bring up and discuss on this podcast for our listeners. Um, can you please define and explain what a homoname is? A synonym? A synonym? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Synonym. Yeah, synonym. Yeah. Thank you. Synonym. Yes. Um, yes, Andrew. I'm so glad you asked. Um, <laughs> so a few years ago, um, I, was in, I was at spring training and um, – in Arizona, and I was driving, as you do in Arizona, and um, I was driving to meet a friend who works at The Athletic now, Rustin Dodd, and his friend, uh, Mark Dent, who uh, who uh, works in, he's a journalist, and he works in Texas, I believe, somewhere. Um, I've only met him that one time, but as I was driving there, Rustin told me who I was meeting, and I was like, oh, Mark Dent, huh? 
And I thought about how those words can mean the same thing, um, mark and dent, as in something can leave both a mark and a dent. And I thought, hey, his names, his names are synonyms of each other. And as I got to the restaurant, we, um, back when you could do that, we, uh, we talked for a while and I, I, I mentioned to him like 15 minutes in and he was a little bit bewildered when I said like, have you ever thought about how your names mean the same thing? And he was like, <laughs> no, I haven't. Uh, and, um, and uh, we talked about it for a little while, and then I started asking people I knew about it, and uh, we started developing um, candidates and names, and um, look, and we started coming up with our own criteria. They had to be real people um, based on LinkedIn or Facebook. They had to um, truly appear to exist, and their names had to be exactly spelled uh, as the words are. They could not involve language inversions. Uh, they just had to be two names, a first and a last, that meant that were uh, the dictionary definition or thesaurus definitions of, uh, or that that appeared in the thesaurus for each other as synonyms. So, probably my favorite is um, like a simpler one is Victor Champion, who was a man in uh, <laughs> South Los Angeles who I <laughs> love to get in touch with someday. Um, let me pull up the uh, bags after I told bags about it this spring. So it's been kind of percolating in the back of my mind for a while. Uh, it goes, I go through like six month stages where I don't think about it, and then every once in a while I'm just like, oh. Let's do some synonyms today. And I told Andy, and he just went a little. He went a little crazy. I yeah, went one day. Yeah, one day, I got like uh, like thirteen Slack messages from this guy. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> you, you probably uh, regret this now, but you had you had Bill uh, Bill Ch- uh, charge. I have Bill check. Uh, you came up with Patty Burger, right? And there's, yeah. there's a Patty Burger. Well, no, to be fair, not all of these I came up with. This is a list of. I think only a few okay. of these are me, and they're friends. Yeah. And and, yeah. and I will tell you that Pedro's standards are quite ex- exacting because I I found Don Capo and Pedro's. You know, Don and Capo are kind of different things. They're they're different levels of mafiosos. So, uh, <laughs> but but I did find there's there's a Chuck Ralph. Uh, there's a Chuck Ralph on on LinkedIn, um, and uh, I also found. Um, Oh gosh, there was another good one. Uh, oh, I know. There's a, an Indiana Tech wrestler named Sawyer Miller. Uh, that one's that, good. That one was good. And and, um, uh, and even though actor Peter O'Toole does not meet the qualifications because of the O apostrophe, I did find uh, an author's Amazon page, and his name is Jack Stroke. So we can end the podcast oh, with that. Did you, whoa, 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 wait. Let me let me read a couple more since we come on. We we teased it. Let's let's. That's that. That's no way to end episode 69, Andy. This is yeah. a family show. Well, episode 69, we got John Outhouse, real person who has a Wikipedia page. He died. Um, Frank Blunt, Dick Wang, uh, Tony Swank, Carol Song, Chase Hunt, John Crapper, Forrest Woods, Peter Wayne, Max Most. Man, there's a, there's a lot. Send me some, please. I did find a guy. He's he's an insurance adjuster in uh, Ohio. He also uh, teaches conceal and carry classes on the side. And his name, I was told this is not uh, um, this is not eligible. But his name is Randy Loveless, and that might be my favorite name of all time. Oh man! Well, I after Andy told me about this in uh, February, I went through Baseball Reference to see if I could find anyone, and that that search is still ongoing. But I did find a minor leaguer. From the 50s in the Orioles and Pirates system, uh, he was Bob Wade. And I think Bob Wade, does that, does that qualify? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a does. good one. That's, that's a, great a good one. one. All right. I'll, I'll keep searching baseball reference because that's, that's Sonny Gray domain. is close to an antonym. 
Um, yes. Close to, but misses it by one letter in the uh, first. So Yeah, all I have to offer is that the spoonerism for Rod Beck is like a description of him physically. Um, bod wreck. Uh, <laughs> looks like all I got oh, that's to fresh. contribute to this. I like that one. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been episode 69 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. Uh, thank you so much to Pedro Mora for joining us. It was a lot of fun, even though... Yeah, not a lot of good news coming out of there. Not a lot of good news. It, it turns out the Dodgers are pretty, pretty, pretty good. Uh, but we will be back on Thursday, and we'll talk more Giants baseball. Thanks for listening.